Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of the Wrestling vs. the World podcast. If y'all are enjoying your day, sweet. If not, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so by the time this episode has come out, we'll already be past Ric Flair's quote-unquote final match ever. I say that because we're this is an industry where retirement isn't guaranteed. Like, not everybody who says they're retired sticks to retirement. But I thought about that and I remembered... There was one subject that I was so looking forward to finally covering, and that was Ric Flair's WWE retirement. Now, I'll get to that, emphasize that part towards the end, but this is going to be covering his final time within WWE as an active in-ring competitor. But to tell this story properly, I'm going to have to bring you all back to June of 2007. More specifically, June 11, 2007. Episode of Raw, where the WWE draft took place, and it was announced that Ric Flair had been drafted over to SmackDown for the only time. However, the oddity part thing here is that Ric Flair's time on the Blue Brand only lasted about two months as he was written out of television on, after the August 10, 2007 edition of SmackDown after suffering injuries at the hands, literally, of the great Khali. So, in reality, Ric Flair had to be written off television because I believe he was getting married at that time or some other stuff was going on in his personal life that required him to step away from the ring. Now, despite being drafted to SmackDown, one consistency you'll see here from this point up until WrestleMania 24 was that the whole brand split, like in terms of being able to only compete on the brand you're assigned to, did not come into play for Flair's time because they just threw that out the window. But on the, Nove on the November 26, 2007 edition of Raw, Ric Flair would make his televised return, despite, like I said, being drafted to SmackDown five months prior. He would discuss his time away from the ring, saying that he had to look at other business ventures and evaluate his life after wrestling but then he announced that he would never retire however Vince McMahon had other plans as he would come down to the ring and declare to Flair that the next time he lost a match whether it be pitfall submission disqualification or count out his career was over and who was his first opponent going to be under these rules Randy Orton who was the WWE champion at the time so this would end up actually being the main event of the show. At the end, Ric Flair would actually defeat Randy Orton because Randy would delay, looking like he's ready to hit the RKO to end Flair's career. Jericho would pop out from under the ring, who Randy was feuding at the time as a distraction. Flair gets the low blow and a roll-up for the victory in order to keep his career intact. Now, a couple weeks later would be the Raw 10th and yeah, 10th and 15th anniversary, sorry. Which was kind of odd because Raw's debut happened in January of 93, so they're celebrating it a month early. But during this run, I think some people have been confused saying that, like, there have been some other matches that Flair lost, but they did not end his career. Well, this all got clarified on the December 10, 2007 edition of Raw, like I said, Raw's 15th anniversary. During the show, we would see Evolution, being Triple H, Ric Flair, and Batista, have a six-man tag match against Rated RKO, who was teaming together for the first time since... I think before WrestleMania 23, so Randy Orton, Edge, and Umaga, or as Regal always says, Umaga, you know. But during the tag match, while Flair and Edge, I believe, were in the ring, it was announced on commentary that this career-threatening stipulation only applies to singles matches. So Jerry Lawler had to re... It was either Jerry Lawler or JR that had to reiterate that fact. So any, any other matches, tag matches, handicap matches, triple threats, stuff like that, the career-threatening rule does not apply. It has to be one-on-one -on -one for Flair's career to end. Now, you fast-forward, and of course, Evolution 1, it's whatever. Next week, December 17, 2007 edition of Raw, Ric Flair would have a one-on-one -on -one match against Umaga. 
Umaga! And at the end, Flair would actually get a count-out victory over Umaga, as both men would spill to the outside. Umaga would try to do that whole running hip attack that he does to the person that's in the corner, except Flair was up against the barricade, Flair got out of the way, Umaga crashed through the barricade, and Flair got in back in the ring at the count of nine, and referee would count Umaga out, so Flair's career would continue. I mean, kind of a smart move. But now, stakes really got put on the line two weeks later. December 31st, 2007 edition of Raw. It was Ric Flair versus Triple H. Two things were on the line. Ric Flair's career and Triple H's opportunity to be in the Royal Rumble match. So, this was a case where Triple H was in a conundrum. He either wins and ends his best friend's career, or he loses and can't compete in the Royal Rumble match. And if they were doing this whole story with Vince trying to get under... Regal skin, trying to be like, whose side are you going to get involved with, damn it? So what did Regal do? Well, after Triple H hit the pedigree on Flair and his legs were weakened, he was taking a long time to try to get the cover. Flair would get pulled over onto the apron by William Regal. Brass knuckle, left hand to Flair's head to cause a disqualification. So Flair wins by disqualification, but Triple H ended up losing his spot in the Royal Rumble match because of William Regal. So for anybody who was wondering about why they had eventually had the first blood match between Triple H and Regal and this feud that was going on beforehand, this was one of the main things, because they were having some tension there, I think trailing back since around the time of where Vince's illegitimate son reveal thing happened, but this was one big catalyst here. And yes, Triple H would eventually get in the Royal Rumble match, took a little bit. But now Ric Flair's next televised match would happen for a couple of weeks, as on the January 14, 2008 edition of Raw, Flair would get a one-on-one match against Regal and would get the victory after Regal tried to do the whole roll-up tights with a leverage spot, but the referee caught him, so Flair decides, hey, I'm going to do the same thing to you. Does that right to Regal and gets the victory, which does not please Regal. But then again, who really cares? So Flair's career still left intact here. Now, Royal Rumble 2008 would be one of the three only pay-per-view matches that Flair would have during this run. And Royal Rumble, he would defeat MVP, a match where you probably remember the fact that Ric Flair kind of botched the landing of a single-nace facebuster that MVP tried to do to him because he was like a mile away. But it, during the match, they tried to tease the whole spot saying that, oh, Ric Flair lost because during the match, MVP got the pin on him, but Charles Robinson stopped after hitting the three because he realized, oh shit, I didn't count the fact that Flair's full was on the rope. So the match would continue. Later, Ric Flair would get the initial, eventually get the three count. Thankfully, I think it was like a small package in there to keep his career alive and defeat MVP. And, of course, this went end because on the February 1st, 2008 edition of SmackDown, a little bit later, so yes, Flair not having to be brand exclusive, he would defeat MVP via disqualification because at the match finish, MVP was being kind of being put in the figure four leg lock by Flair, but he was already, as he was getting the move applied in him, starting to turn onto his stomach to reverse the pressure. So the pressure was on Flair with the on his legs with a hold. Flair still got under the ropes, but MVP refused to relinquish the hold despite the five count and got disqualified. Which is kind of dumb. It's like when you've got a situation where you could end a man's career, why would you put yourself in a situation under any means necessary where you cause yourself to lose intentionally like that and not end somebody's career and make a legacy for yourself? Kind of odd. Now, the next match, I, from what I see, was at No Way Out later on, later on in the month. Ric Flair would actually defeat Mr. Kennedy on pay-per-view with the figure for a leg lock. I mean, earlier, just a bit prior to that, Flair avoided getting put in through another Green Bay plunge that Fireman's carry into a front roll that Kennedy does. Target's leg, figure four, boom, Kennedy taps out. 
Now, the big one of the biggest bits of news that would start happening after this was on the February 18, 2008 edition of Raw, Shawn Michaels would come down the ring and announce that Ric Flair would be the headline attraction inductee into the 2008 class WWE Hall of Fame, which was huge. And the next night on ECW, Flair would make an appearance, so again, no more brand exclusive type of shit, where Ric Flair would cut a promo at the beginning of the show, get attacked by Elijah Burke and Sheldon Benjamin, CM Punk would make the save, and in the main event... Ric Flair and CM Punk would defeat Sheldon Benjamin and Elijah Burke after Flair applied the figure for a leg lock on Elijah Burke for the uh, submission. Elijah, I can't remember if it was called the Elijah Express or Experience or whatever. It's that running double knee that he does to an opponent that's in the corner. Flair got out of that before applying the figure four, so that was actually kind of smart to do there. Now, less than a week later, on the February 25th, 2008 edition of Raw, Shawn Michaels would have a one-on-one match against Lance Cade, have a bit of a busted nose. Afterwards, Ric Flair would come to the ring and officially challenge Shawn Michaels to a one-on-one match at WrestleMania 24, which Rick, which Shawn Michaels was completely against. Like, he did not want to possibly be known as the guy who ended Ric Flair's career because of the retirement stipulation. But then after a little bit, he was convinced, saying, all right, Rick, I'll take you on at WrestleMania. Now, the next week, Shawn and Ric Flair would actually team up and go against Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch and defeat them in a tag match. Afterwards, Shawn is still hesitant. He's like, I don't want to have this match. I don't want to be the guy that could end your career. He's saying that if you keep pushing me, Rick, for this match, your star is going to get snubbed out and your career will be over. Because, I mean, we got to remember, this Shawn Michaels. WrestleMania is his stage, his playground, his showcase in front of the entire world. The man will go to any extent to change, like, make history on any WrestleMania that he can. Now, the following week, March 10, 2008 edition Raw, Ric Flair would come out, cut a promo, and call out Shawn Michaels, and get on his case for pretty much showing him pity and sympathy towards Flair because of his promo the week prior, saying that he doesn't, he has too much love and respect for him, he doesn't want to end his career. So we brought out Shawn, he told Shawn that if he can't compete with the best at WrestleMania, that being Shawn himself, then he doesn't want his career to continue, where Flair would continue the promo and everything and challenge Sean, hey, give me everything you've got at WrestleMania. So Sean is like, all right, I'll give it to you. And then Sean said that on it's come to my attention that this Friday on SmackDown, you're going to have this handicapped seal cage match against Edge and his Edge guys, being Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, and saying that Fridays are usually my days spent watching Dora the Explorer and Haley Town Heroes. But instead, he's going to join Ric Flair in the handicapped steel cage match on SmackDown, which was a rare time where you ever saw Shawn Michaels competing on SmackDown. Did not happen that often. So March 14, 2008 edition of SmackDown, Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair went up against Edge and the Edgeheads. I believe Chavo was also an opponent in there. And Shawn and Ric lost. But again, because the stipulation is that this old, this retirement stipulation only applies to singles matches, Ric Flair's career did not end here, thankfully. Now, three days later, on the March 17, 2008 edition of Raw, St. Patrick's Day, Vince McMahon would book himself into a street fight against Ric Flair, which would be the final time Ric Flair would actually bleed in a match on WWE television. And of course, Ric Flair won. I believe he did a splash to Vince McMahon off the top rope through a table. But during the match, Shawn Michaels got involved and stopped Vince from winning. Because he didn't want... Because the retirement stipulation was here too, so he didn't want to risk... Flair losing and also not having their match at WrestleMania. This would end up getting brought up the next week. The final Raw before WrestleMania. March 24, 2008 to Raw. And I've got to say this. If you all have never seen 
This in-ring promo slash segment between Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair on the March 24, 2008 edition of Raw, you need to see this because this is absolutely awesome. So Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair are in the ring cutting a promo. Flair talking about how he did not appreciate Shawn Michaels coming out and interfering in the match and saying that he feels like Shawn does not respect him. He lost respect for Shawn, feeling like Shawn doesn't have confidence in him to beat Vince McMahon. And Shawn just like was coming out there trying to reason with Rick. And Rick had this velvet bag in his hands. He opened it up, and what did he have? The NWA World Heavyweight Championship, the championship that he won for the very first time back in 1981. And if memory serves me right, this is the first time that belt has been shown on WWE television since 1998 when they did that whole NWA invasion angle back then, because I believe Dan Severn, when he was still with the WWE, and they did that invasion angle, there was one point where Severn was NWA World Champion, because I know... Severn had a bunch of belts. Well, the first time we're seeing this championship on television in WWE in 10 years. And Flair even got on Sean's case because Sean was kind of kissing up to Flair and reminding him of who he was. And Rick is just like, I'm tired of people reminding me who I am, damn it, of being the 16-time world champion, the show, the Jim, limousine riding, Jeff flying, kiss dealing, wheel dealing, son of a gun. He's like, he doesn't need anybody to remind him who he is. So he's getting pissed off about that. And both men are saying, hey, we're going to have the big match. And then as both men are ready to leave, Sean stops Ric Flair and reminds him of the story of Old Yeller. Saying that the family in the movie, they love that dog. But what, and in the book too, but I'm only familiar with the movie because I haven't touched the book in a while. He said, when it was time, the family had to take that dog out back behind the shed and put him out of his misery. And at WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels is going to take Ric Flair and he referred to him as Old Yeller. And at WrestleMania, he's going to put him outside behind the shed and put him out of his misery. This enraged Ric Flair to the point where he slammed down his coat, threw the velveteen bag out of the ring, and even threw down the NWA championship. I mean, first time we've probably seen that since Shane Douglas did that in ECW. And he's on the mic screaming. He's like, oh, yeller, are you kidding me? And slapped Sean in the face to the point where he knocked his hat off. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Slapped him again. He's pretty much begging him, hey, put me out of my misery right now. You call me old yeller, put me out of my misery right now. And Sean just coldly stared at Rick and just told him, he's like, like I said, at WrestleMania, I'm putting you out of your misery. It was like, oh, like my God. Like I said, that's one of my favorite in-ring segments slash promos ever. If you guys have never seen it, it's amazing. But that night was not over because in the main event of that night, we would get an eight-man tag team notice qualification match as a WrestleMania showcase. John Cena, Triple H, Ric Flair, and Shawn Michaels against JBL Big Show, Yumanga, and Randy Orton. During the match, Ric Flair was seemingly about to get the win, but Shawn Michaels actually attacked him during the conclusion of the match. Afterwards, I think Shawn was trying to go for a figure for a leg lock. Flair retaliated, low blow from behind on Michaels, setting him out of the ring, and Flair would get the figure for a leg lock on Randy to get the submission victory, which was Ric Flair's final match on Raw. Now, of course, we also know that that following weekend, they did the whole Hall of Fame ceremony. Flair's getting emotional. So you could tell the next night was going to be it. You could tell just by Flair's speech and his emotions and everything because it's just like the end was coming. And in the end, it was. The next night at WrestleMania 24, it was all over as Shawn Michaels would defeat Ric Flair to end his WWE in-ring career. At the end of the match, Shawn Michaels had Flair in the favor of leg lock. Flair messed with the bottom turnbuckle pad in order to distract referee Charles Robinson, Lil Nate, and then used that moment to poke Sean in the eye behind the referee's back to break the hold. Both men started rising their feet. Flair is just chopping at Sean. 
and Sean just out of desperation hit a close angle sweet chin music onto Flair to knock both men down. Sean got to the corner up to his feet. Looked like he was ready to set up sweet chin music, but then the emotions kicked in because he realized this was it. He was putting Ric Flair out of his misery. Flair is getting emotional, getting up to his feet, and pretty much telling Sean, it's like, just come on, give it to me. And Sean, with tears down his eyes, said, I'm sorry, I love you, and hit the final sweet chin music and pin to end Ric Flair's WWE in-ring career. Sean would leave the ring. Flair would embrace the crowd, hug his family at ringside, and then finally go up the ramp and wave goodbye to the crowd. But then the next night, we saw the big farewell, which is the best career farewell, even if this was not his permanent in-ring career, but this would be the big farewell that you can't top. The next night on Raw, March 31st, 2008 edition of Raw, and I remember this because I was, around this time I was in, let's see, what grade I was in? I think sophomore year of high school, and I remember, like, I was at home at the time, not the house I'm at now, but prior home, and just following WWE.com because I cannot watch the show, and I was like, oh, no, when I saw that Flair's career was over courtesy WWE.com. The next night on Raw, Flair's out for his celebration to close the show, and the one thing he said in this promo is still true to this day. He said, I will never, ever wrestle in this ring, referring to WWE ring, ever again. And to this day... 14 years later, it's still true. He has not had a match in WWE since then. So that's the one thing that's remained true from this whole promo. Even though he would have matches where Hulkamania's tour in Australia, I think it was, TNA, and eventually this match that's happened already by the time this episode was released. But then he thanked the crowd for everything they'd given him, and he goes to get ready to leave, but then out comes Triple H, who is no-selling the fact that he got punched in the head the night prior to WrestleMania. He's like, Rick... If you think that the people here in Orlando and the ones at home are the only ones who want to say thank you, then you've got another thing coming. He hugs Flair and thanks him. And something we, I didn't think we'd see, Triple H actually, a king, the king of kings, gets on his knees and bows down to Flair. Yet usually people who are known as a king, at least even with a moniker that get bowed down to, to so to see a king bow down, it's pretty surprising. But then Triple H announced, hey, there's some other guys who I ran backstage that want to say thank you too. And the people that came out at first were the four horsemen being Tully Blanchard, J.J. Dillon, Arn Anderson, and Barry Windham. And I've got to say, that entrance music they came out to, phenomenal. Four horsemen music from this night, I believe. If you look on YouTube, I believe it's like their fifth, it's labeled on YouTube as like their fifth WCW entrance theme. Check it out after listening to this episode. Let this episode play out first. But that entrance music that they came out to was awesome. I mean, all the members came out, and JR noted on commentary, this was all five of them. Blanchard, Dillon, Anderson, Wyndham, and Flair being in the ring at the same time as the first time this has happened since 1988. All five of those men are in the ring at the same time. Then you also saw Batista come out. Steamboat came out. And one thing I noticed here was that his entrance music, I don't know if this was his original entrance music back in the day, but this is the same entrance music Ultimo Dragon used during his time in WWE. If you wanted proof, listen back to Steamboat's entrance, you know, the one where he slipped on his freaking cape at the entrance, and you'll see his music is the same that, Flair, that Steamboat is using for here. Then Harley Race comes out, Greg Valentine comes out, and I also love Valentine's music, even if it sounds a little rock generic, but it still sounds awesome. 
Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, John Cena, even Flair's family with his then-wife Tiffany, and you even saw a young Charlotte Flair. First time I believe she's seen on a wrestling program since at least some of those segments that they had in WCW. So first time Charlotte's actually around. This was a four-hour surgery. So everybody's in the ring, and then out comes Shawn Michaels to a dead silent crowd because the crowd did not know how to think because Shawn cannot really utter his words out properly earlier about his thoughts about Ric Flair and ending his career. Shawn came down, and the crowd just lit up once Flair and Shawn just embraced each other in the ring. And then Triple H was like, you know what? We could keep this going on all night. If anybody else back there wants to say thank you to Ric Flair, come on out. And in a rare breach of kayfabe on WWE television, everybody, baby faces and heels, wrestlers, referees, legends, you name it, everybody breached kayfabe. No matter whether they're baby faces or heels, everybody came out, filled up the entire rampway. Just everybody. And you even heard the crowd say, oh, when they saw Jim Duggan come out with a 2 by 4 so to see this, all the baby faces and heels getting together and paying tribute to Rick was very surprising. Everybody's chanting, thank you, Rick. Thank you, Rick. Just to see everybody in the aisleway doing that, the audience all in unison was absolutely awesome. Big Show even got up on the apron and hugged Rick. Because I know uh, Big Show earlier in the night said that Flair had said during his speech that Big Show was the greatest big man he's ever been in the ring with. So that's a major compliment right there. So then Flair's hugging everybody as Raw face to black. But that wasn't it. And I remember this because I saw this on YouTube back when this was leaked through fan footage and everything on YouTube back then. That after the show, and we also got this on both Peacock and the network, Undertaker actually came out. Everybody in the aisleway split apart, gave Undertaker the way to walk down into the ring, removed his wardrobe, and broke kayfabe, like character and everything, by shaking Ric Flair's hand, raising respect, turned back to character by doing his pose, and then just kept hugging him. So, Undertaker actually broke character in a surprising way. I mean, yeah, it was after the show, but still, you rarely ever saw that because the man was always protective of his character. Undertaker went back onto the standing at the top of the front of the aisleway, clapping and applauding Rick. And I believe cameras also showed he actually kind of cried there. So, you saw a bit of emotion from the Undertaker. And then there was still one man left to come down. And that was Vincent Kennedy fucking McMahon. Comes just marching down the aisleway, gets in the ring, and just majorly embraces Flair, raising his arms and respects and everything. Just big embrace. It was absolutely awesome. And I remember, like, I saw in the fan cam, too, and some guy, like, holding the camera over there in the audience was like, Hey, look, there's Vince. Vince come down doing all that. It was absolutely phenomenal. So right there, that was the entire ending of Ric Flair's WWE in-ring career. He would still make some appearances for the next... I think next year or so, because I know after 2009 he disappeared. Like I said, he went back into the ring with the Hulkamania tour and stuff, the stuff in TNA. I guess he had to make money because Flair just can't stop getting divorced. I mean, that's pretty much inevitable. I mean, there are three guarantees in life, really. Death taxes and Flair not having a long-lasting marriage. It No disrespect to Flair, but, you know, it's true. I mean, this man's been divorced a lot. But it's just like this run was just great. I mean, yeah, the matches with MVP and Kennedy were nothing special, but it's like the stipulation and keeping your eyes out about whether or not Flair's career was going to end, the build to the WrestleMania match, and then the WrestleMania match itself with Shawn Michaels was absolutely amazing. The match itself had a phenomenal story, drama, the emotion, and the night after that celebration is one of the greatest things I can still look back on. Like, I just went back and rewatched this entire one and just absolutely loved it. I might have... I might have even recorded it on a blank VHS tape back then. I don't know if I still have it. 
But it's like that would be a that was a tough thing to try to record back then because you never knew when Raw was going to end. So I don't know if it was that Raw or I'm thinking the Raw 15th anniversary where it didn't record the whole show because all of a sudden oh just stopped when I said to stop at like five after eleven. But this was like one segment I might still have on VHS because I remember I went a long time without recording over it because this was phenomenal. So like I said, yeah, Flair getting back in the ring kind of tainted this. But it's like you look at that match at WrestleMania and this post-WrestleMania on Raw celebration, it was phenomenal. Absolutely fantastic. Nobody else has had a better send-off for their in-ring career than this. So anyway, let me know what you all thought in the comment section below about Ric Flair's in-ring retirement run from late 2007 to WrestleMania 24 in the comment section below. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember, leave a like. Subscribe if you're watching this, slash listen to this on YouTube, or follow on any other service. Comment what you thought about this period below, and I will catch you all in the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe. Peace out, and good night or day, everybody.